1: Welcome to another Jetpacks are Overrated. I'm Shameless Byrne. On this show, I'm chatting to Mark Rogers. He is the Executive Director of Cybersecurity Strategy at Okta. I was meant to actually attend Okta's annual conference, uh, Octane, in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago, but, well, things kind of changed. So Okta is one of, if not the leader... In user authentication for the corporate world and their expertise is always really interesting on how digital security is evolving and getting to talk to mark rogers gives insight of the highest order alongside his role at okta rogers is the head of SecOps ops for the global hacking convention defcon he's been involved with defcon for over 20 years He's also served as hacker consultant for one of my favorite shows, Mr. Robot. He's also a white hat hacker who has made news for uncovering security issues, the likes of Apple's Touch ID and the Tesla Model S. He's just a bloody clever security brain. In our chat, Mark digs into one of the most remarkable hacking projects that the world has really ever seen. It's a new collective effort buy white hats to help ensure health facilities and coronavirus-related efforts are actually protected, plugging holes, alerting authorities, solving big problems, basically as a hobby alongside their daily security work. It's actually really amazing stuff. So let's get into it. Here's my chat with Mark Rogers, Executive Director of Cybersecurity Strategy at Okta.
2: What's kept me sane is I've thrown myself into as many other things I can do. which to some might seem like a, a sign of insanity, <laughs> um, but i i've you know I jumped into um, a, a work stream called United in Fight, which is basically um, mostly government led workstream distributing medical supplies, yeah. But also looking at how we can tap civilians to make certain small parts, procure um, simplistic respirator designs, get them through approval and then create some kind of distributed supply chain to move the stuff around. And it, it all sounded great in the conversation when we were planning it, but now with actually doing it, it's like, wow, this is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I, I got involved with the, um, the cyber side of it, and we created the, um, the CTI League platform. And again, we were just expecting a few hundred of our InfoSec colleagues to join us because we realized that, you know, as infosec professionals, when when we don't have anything to do, we we, we tend to do infosec. And so <laughs> yeah. now we can't go out and socialise, and can't go down the pub and have a beer. Um, they're all sitting around in the evenings, and it's like, hey, let's harness that. <laughs> and so we got a few folks together. Well, now we're a thousand people from forty countries, and it's like, yeah, I've never wow. run a
1: thousand-person security team before. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like I saw a great stat that uh folding at home, you know, which has been around for so long and has kind of worked on cancer research and all that sort of work yeah. um that, you know, having put a bunch of their work towards uh coronavirus uh efforts. Yeah, I saw that they crossed an exabyte of uh yeah, of compute power and it's yeah. like that's just that great thing again where people get, oh, there's something I can point something at and feel vaguely helpful then suddenly it kind of shoots through the roof. And I remember, you know, a week ago they were saying they were, you know, they're just trying to get enough uh, units out to give people things to compute because they've had such a good response. Yeah, we have the same problem. Like, we have so many people now we're having to,
2: before we were like, you know, we're just going to do this kind of casual like and get a few of our friends together. And now it's like, okay, we have to think about how we organize ourselves. And so we've got Two tiers of management now is the original four of us who, who run it. And underneath that, now we have administrators. And then beneath that, we've got teams that we're creating, the team leads, and trying to assign tasks. Because what we've found is out of 1,000 people, you've got a percentage of people who are self-starters, who just come in, see problems. Um, we've created automated feeds that scan for all the phishing messages that go around that look for things that people report in, look at malware samples, et cetera. And the self-starters will come in, grab something, and dive onto it. But the people who need a little bit of kind of a, a prod in their direction before they get rolling, they're sort of going, what do I do? Which team do I join? So now we're having to create that sort of structure to, to help them do it. Mm-hmm. And it's suddenly, like, those the, the four of us who, who, who launched this are finding ourselves doing less and less actual Inversec work <laughs> and then more and more actual management work yeah. to get it going. But it's it's been pretty gratifying because um, early on, I, I um, from my, my I, uh, I guess you, you probably know I'm the head of security at DEFCON, the um, uh, hacker conference. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I'm used to running a big team. The DEFCON security team is about 180 people. Um, but as a result of Defcon, I'm also used to dealing with law enforcement and I'm used to dealing with agencies and, and especially foreign agencies. Yeah. That's come a good over. point. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, we've always been welcoming and we've had kind of a tongue in cheek contest called spot the fed for years. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Um, but we, as part of our vision, we would like to see the hacker community grow closer to the government and law enforcement communities because we see it, you know, we're hackers that doesn't mean we're good or bad it just means we have a skill yeah and that skill can be harnessed and if we can come up with new paths that allow people to express that skill safely without breaking the law then we've done a great job for the community and so that's built a load of bridges before so i've capitalized on those bridges and been bringing those people in well the response has been amazing i i I kind of initially thought that it would be so somewhat reticent, but nope, they're they're on board. You know, we have solid representation from all sectors of law enforcement. We're getting good guidance from them, and they're happy with what we're doing. That in turn is is kind of shaping the way we do stuff. Um, you know, we can do a lot of good without actually having to cross any lines. Most of the folks who are on the platform do this sort of stuff taking bad things down as their day jobs so when it comes to the evening and them hunting down covid threats all they're doing is using the same skills that they use in the day but for a different purpose and so as a result you know we're taking down uh fishing uh domains left right and center i don't think a day doesn't go past without like you know at least You know a few fishing domains being taken down sometimes as many as 20 or 30 domains being taken down in one go um we partnered with the registrar organizations so they're close to us we've partnered with the trust and safety organizers so they're close to us and so the speed it's it's moving at is actually quite phenomenal and it's not because we're doing anything massively different you know we're not cutting corners or or or, uh bending rules. It's just the fact that everybody's there together. Mm. So if you went to take down a phishing domain in a foreign country, normally that would involve quite a lengthy process of emails. It might involve some kind of warrant, maybe escalation from one law enforcement group to another. But here, it's just a case of, hey, do I have a representative from Registrar X? Yeah, I'm from X. Oh, look, we found this. This is what they're doing. This is the evidence that it's bad, and their response is okay. Yep, that violates our uh, uh, user policy. We'll take them down. We'll remain taken down. It's like it's that quick.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um,
2: it, it's, it's phenomenal. Uh, probably one of the best ones. We found a um, uh, an infrastructure vulnerability in a a, a high-profile um, critical site. I, I can't say which because we don't want to um, identify the, the the victims and, and ongoing work. Um, But let's just say something pretty sensitive. We found an open vulnerability in it that was being exploited by a malware campaign to push out malware to to consumers. And as soon as we identified it and we started working on it and escalated it to our law enforcement partners, we both worked at it from different ends. And between us, we managed to have the uh, issue resolved, the infrastructure issue and the, the the campaign that was exploiting it pulled down in 3 hours yeah wow and for me that's like a a record for a, <laughs> like, you know um so seeing stuff like that is is really gratifying yeah. um we we've protected now dozens of hospitals um we're finding things with mostly using um uh, open source intelligence tools um if you're familiar with things like Shodan um, that allow us to see what's actually just out there. Yeah, so Because right. yep. one of the rules we have is whatever we do, it has to be a light touch. Um, yeah. We don't want anyone doing anything that might interrupt with the operations of a hospital, especially at this time. Yeah. And so whatever we can passively collect and work on, we're, we're doing. It, and we've got feeds of this information. And we're finding so much stuff. We found a hospital with exposed vulnerable infrastructure. Um, It took a little while, but we were able to escalate and work within the bounds of their organization and uh, plug in the right uh, external organizations and get that patched. Um, We found uh, exposed keys, um, known vulnerabilities, all of this stuff we're identifying and patching. And what that means is we're closing down the attack surface that these bad guys Mm. can exploit to attack some of these facilities. Now, we're not deluded into thinking that we can stop everything. We can't. But if we can just reduce a big chunk of the bad stuff that's out there, then we empower the folks uh, in authority who are looking after the big stuff to focus on the big
1: stuff. Mm. Do you feel like a collective effort like this will kind of, you know, sustain after, you know, this sort of crisis is over and, you know, that these people will feel like, oh, we've got something amazing here. How do we sort of put this collective to, to other use? Or is it something that, you know, might sort of just fade back off into the into the background uh, when, you know, this sort of major issue is uh, is is also fading away later on?
2: I think that's the million dollar question. Um, a, a lot of us, especially amongst the, the four um, top managers, have been have been talking about this. We would like to see it continue, because this is, I think, exactly what the internet needs. It needs this kind of close collaboration. Um, what I think it was uh, Fortune called us hackers without borders. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, it, it's, in, in some ways, I guess, it's kind of true. It's like if we can come together and ignore national boundaries but operate within our individual national uh, policies and laws and let the people who are in those countries operate, knowing that they're the experts of their own local rules, but by being close to us, they can take our information and operate Mm. quickly. We can do an immense amount of good to protect the internet. Um, So we're already thinking about how we can use this to protect things in the future, but you know, the big question is, you know, right now we know that a we're benefiting from a lot of people being quarantined, so that gives us a workforce that probably would normally be down the pub. Um, so you know, once the the quarantine ends, are we going to be able to convince people to sacrifice social time to to do this? I'd like to think, you know, a good percentage of them. Um. And then the other kind of question is, without the sword of Damocles, can we get everyone to forget their differences and overcome hurdles? Mm -hmm. Because that's been one of the challenges in InfoSec for a long time, is all these different companies are doing great things, but they're doing these great things in silos. Um, One of the best examples I like to use is if you look at an antivirus company and pick a particular virus, it's probably got a different name In every single company. (laughs) yeah, And so you often don't know that you're even talking about the same thing. But by being all together, talking in the same chat channels, sharing the same information, it breaks that barrier down. So can we keep doing that without the Sword of Damocles? I'm not sure, but I'm certainly going to try.
1: Yeah. Look, it reminds me that there's always been a a great, um, who was it? Clay Shirky, I think his name is, uh, an academic on sort of media theory type stuff. And back in the day, he he, uh, used our Wikipedia as like a unit of time measurement in a sense. And it was about that idea of, you know, how, you know, because so many people are like, oh, like who has the spare time to, to do all that stuff on Wikipedia. And they sort of calculated out. No, clearly this is an old calculation, but it was like, here's the the calculation on how long it took to build Wikipedia to what it is today. Now let's look at that unit of time and realize that actually that total amount of time is spent every weekend in America just amongst people who are all sitting down watching sports matches. You know, like yeah. that yeah. there is an awful lot of surplus. Uh, creative capacity out there, and then when people suddenly go, oh, look, we're all pointing at this one cool thing and look what we did together, Um, then you're right. Hopefully it means some of these people sort of see, maybe not everybody, but a good percentage of them might go, there's some amazing value that I've been able to feel a part of and therefore why not keep doing at least some of it, if not you know, the super high level that might be going on right now.
2: Yeah, and, and let's we. Let's not forget, we don't necessarily need this thing to be as well staffed as it yeah. is all the time. Yeah. You know, it can ebb and flow like the tide. Um, we just need to be able to call cool to arms whenever there's something big going on, like the elections coming in November or or some international yeah. disaster or, you know. Um we know bad guys have regularly been exploiting these kinds of events because whenever there's a vacuum of information or whenever there's public concern there is an opportunity for someone to try and mislead people and use that to exploit Well, mm. if we can step in around those times i think we can do a lot of good so one of the things that we've been thinking about as kind of as a next step is how do we transmit this information so we're looking at how we can create reports and um create some uh should we say sensitive success stories that um uh, the affected parties and law enforcement are okay with us sharing so that we can share the wins because we think pushing out these good news stories will a help motivate our own membership, but B um, if we can push out some good news while everyone else is just seeing nothing but bad news on TV and worrying about what's going, uh, they'll remember this. And that will be fuel. I hope for the future to say, this kind of initiative adds value, and we can do it. And I also know my own industry. Um, hackers are passionate about what they do. We tend to go at home and do a lot of the same things when we're at home. So there is a willingness to be to be doing this stuff. Mm. And if there's one thing I've, I've seen that really fills me with hope for humanity over this whole pandemic is the willingness to participate and help is immense i mean you guys have seen it up close with the uh, wildfires you faced you know everyday yeah. people will stand up and do extraordinary things to help their fellow citizens um and this is no no different uh some of the, the applications to join i get to see you know, there are people who don't have the background to do this kind of hunting, but they just they apply anyway, and they just say, "Look, I don't have any skills, but I just want to help." Yeah. Um, and so it's, uh, I, I've also been thinking about how can I repoint them towards other groups because there's groups that I'm tracking as part of one of my other work streams, where they're selling masks to ship to hospitals or gowns. They are just you know sitting at home using their sewing machine, just getting the right materials, put it together, and, and ship it out. And while it's not as good as like a professionally made N95 mask, it's certainly better than nothing. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you know, everyday people are willing to do this is, is a great thing.
0: Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
3: My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit Stripe.com/slash tap
1: iPhone. That's awesome. Um, so you know, how supportive is Okta of kind of this stuff? Because clearly you've, you know, you've got plenty of your brain has to point towards uh, you know, the Okta work. Um, you know, are you seeing sort of the big orgs like yourselves kind of um, you're seeing okay. This is important. Let's you know, or is it purely something that's happening, you know, outside of sort of you know, people's time? It's
2: it's mostly happening outside of people's time, but there is a bit of bleed over mm-hmm. because there's a lot of crossover. Um, Octa has been phenomenally supportive, um, but that Octa tends to to be pretty supportive like that with these things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a very developed Octa for Good program inside Octa, and so. This sort of aligns with that that DNA. Um, but I see this with, with a lot of other organizations. We have representatives from pretty much all of the big tech companies that you can think of on board. Yeah. Um, uh, I've been speaking to colleagues in Australia who, who are uh, on board and trying to help. Um, there's uh, some folks I know from uh, the Australian Armed Forces who have been saying that they'd love to be able to help somehow. Um, there's uh, there are members of la gendarmerie in, in France who have joined to 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 help so it's it's across organizations, whether it's you know uh, industry government law enforcement there is a desire to help um, as it comes to the resources that we're using like um, um, things like the tools and stuff we're using there there's no question almost every single big company we talk to is absolutely. We will let you use our resources for the duration of this pandemic. We want to be able to help. And, and none of them have asked to be named or, or, or paraded for this. They just want to offer help where they can. And that's really cool to see as well. And then, as I mentioned, there's the bleed over. And the bleed over is, well, you know, how do you separate some of what we're doing from what we we should be doing as our day jobs.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now,
2: I have a significant number of Okta customers now who we're protecting and who are on the platform. Um, I have at least a couple of calls, uh, uh, actually probably about four or five calls a week now with Okta customers about things like this. Um, I've been contacted by other security service providers protecting some other customers about issues that they're facing. So it, it's, all, it's, it's crossing over. And a big part of that is because um, I, I wrote a blog on this, which is on the Okta site. This is probably the largest wave of cyber attacks I have ever seen. Um, I'm seeing phishing emails now from every language known to man. And that's because this is a global problem. Mm-hmm. And it's become a global cyber gold rush. The bad guys realize that the um, gap in knowledge and the desire to find out what to do to be safe is universal. And so they're all trying to exploit it. I see offers in Chinese with cures that lead to malware, offers in Portuguese that are uh, pointing you towards government sites, sites claiming that they're the British Ministry of Health, um, sites claiming that they're the CDC or or HHS or... And you know, anything that they can possibly try to exploit they're exploiting in every country they can do it in.
1: yeah and so i mean look i think you know, it's a good point to tie into the whole um discussion around sort of the new like fast pass type tools the things that have been announced this week but also in general i guess how this authentication stuff is playing out so rapidly for people who have had to learn so quickly how to kind of set up remote working uh scenarios and And I'm sure it means for a lot of you know uh, Okta customers, that's probably worked out a lot better than for um, you know for people who have just suddenly realised, oh, this is what better authentication tools can help us to do much faster than that. So you know, uh, how have you sort of seen people uh, you know dealing with sort of this shift to they're not sitting at the desk they've always sat at? Therefore, we do need to kind of care about how authentication works and we needed it done yesterday um, yeah, and then how some of these new tools are going to help to solve that.
2: It's challenging because in, in order to do a lot of this stuff properly, um, it, it involves a, a digital transformation. You know, you you may have to move a significant amount of your service to the cloud. You're probably going to have to change how your identity flows work and and uh, how you federate identity, et cetera, which... I'm not sure some of the the smaller organizations are in a good shape to do right now mm. um, because it's very hard. And I'm, I've noticed this for certain just with asking some simple questions. Like, with everybody distributed, getting responses on some things is really hard because you know normally you'd have a group of people in an office and someone would turn to one of their teammates and ask something because, and you pull together a meeting with like 10 people in it and decisions get made and, and actions happen and things move. Now it's kind of all happening in a, in, in a very kind of almost linear fashion, you know, from one person to the next yeah. person to the next person. So that is slowing stuff down. Um, companies that have already embraced digital transformation and using things like um, uh, uh, architecture that has a really strong identity uh, uh, foundation are, are certainly doing well at this because that these are exactly the kind of scenarios that, um, uh, well formed identity based architectures has been supposed to protect against. And uh, so just the fact that there is more of the problem doesn't really necessarily change the fact that they're effective. Um, it's how we help the other organizations get there. That's challenging. Um, and in some cases there are some easy solutions. Um, uh, you can do things like move to move from a, uh, just using the direct login to using federated identity and multi-factor authentication to ensure that identity is properly uh, verified. Steps like that can be done on a SaaS basis, which means even though you're outside of the office, you can deploy this in front of what you already got and and on you go. But it really does it depends on the architecture. Um, and so, I, well, that's one of the things I, I've been saying. Is you know, some companies have been saying like, you know, I actually, I was, I was talking to a friend of mine in an airline company, was saying that you know, that things are really quiet for them now. And I'm saying, like, wow, things have never been busier for us. Uh, and it's not just the the on the identity side, of course. There's the fact that I was stupid enough to take on two other jobs as well. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it's. I mean. It is validation that a strong uh, identity-based architecture is good for this. But I don't like to kind of toot my horn in, in these sort of scenarios. Yeah. I'd rather dig in and solve the problems because often the people that get victimized are, are consumers. And, yeah. you know, the consumers, they're the people ultimately who, who pay our salaries because they buy our products and, and enable... Big companies to put things in place, and so we have to protect them. And I'm I'm very passionate that consumers should not have to bear the burden of security. You know, they should be aware for sure, but they shouldn't be responsible for security architecture and things like that. So there's been a lot of thinking going on about how we can protect stuff. And when you uh, uh, talk about protecting things like hospitals, it's, it's also complex. You know. There's no way that we're going to go in and patch up a hospital running an old version of Windows. Most hospital networks tend to be flat with everything connected into it. Um, you can't go in there and make changes without no, without any kind of risk to their operations. So what do you do? And so, again, it comes down to how do we protect them with SaaS? How do we protect them with awareness tools? What are the right organizations to plug into them? So like. Right, my, my job is kind of being split between thinking about how we can solve some of these problems and also education and talking to people about how best to leverage the tools that they can use to at least reduce the scope of their risk. Mm. Um, there is something that everyone can do. I mean, even down to the most basic consumer. Right? For consumers, first thing I'd say is if your account has uh, two factor authentication, turn it on. Um, that will protect you against a lot of this stuff. Uh, if you've got antivirus, make sure it's up to date. Make sure your OS is up to date. Um, a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing out there is not news. Um, there's a lot of malware and a lot of phishing attacks. They're basically being redressed for yeah. this, um, uh, this pandemic. So they're taking this old stuff, dressing up to look like COVID and sending it out. Well, that means that if you're running up-to-date protection it's going to find it and it's going to stop it so there is hope there now there are some big baddies out there as well like some of the um, major um, ransomware campaigns that's a lot harder Um, and i've I've found that the best defense is like is good awareness and and where possible putting SaaS protection in front of things so you know if you're an organization with an email service Make sure that it's going through an email company, like Proofpoint, for example, to protect, uh, and filter out some of the nasty stuff. Um, you may need to torture employees about being cautious with things like, um, uh, WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger or other, other communications tools, because anything that can bring a file in is potentially a vector that someone can send something to. Um, we're seeing across big organizations that there is a, an increasing demand for protection on the customer side, yeah. but also to simplify how that works and how you tie that in and integrate it. In many ways, the, the problem sets are very similar, um, but when you're starting to deal with you know huge numbers of customers and how you configure them, you don't want to have to do a lot of that stuff manually. So creating tools that enable this sort of onboarding and integration to be done smartly, to enable the tuning of policies and how you set up the interaction with those customers is, is critical to those kinds of businesses. And so that's the direction um, we're heading in. We're trying to make these things smarter, easier to use, and better integrated. Yeah. And on the flip side, that actually empowers and drives the security engine because the more you learn about the customers of our customer and uh, in terms of you know, things like behaviors and connections and things like that, the stronger an architecture we can make for security and the more robust decisions we can make about should this person be doing this. Um, and likewise, you know, I, I, one of the adages I use a lot is you know, why, do, uh, why do cars develop brakes? And most people say it was because they wanted to stop. Um, The answer is actually it was because they were looking for more security so they could go faster. And if you look at the time when brakes were introduced to cars, there was a step change in the top speed that cars went because more control meant people felt more comfortable with going faster. And I think security should operate the same way. Um, We should, as seamlessly as possible, be able to bring people onto platforms, be able to tie them in, and be able to come up with a good way to identify them and let them use the services that they want. And the more transparently we do that, A, the better the user experience is, B, the better it is for the customers, of you know, our customers, not their customers, <laughs> yeah. uh, because they don't have to do all this extra effort to, to uh, manually do stuff. It, it hooks in with the integrations that are being uh, provided to them, but also, the harder it is for bad guys because they don't necessarily see the controls and they don't see the the deep ties between the different layers that prevent them from masquerading as legitimate users and abusing things.
1: Yeah. So, is there uh, like are you across some of the new uh, efforts? I guess to go sort of password free or you know, I guess whatever kind of asterisk you need to uh, put on the end of that, but uh, this sort of fast pass initiative and. And how that sort of side of things, you know, like how long will that sort of offer people when it comes to, because I guess the key thing there is just how long between password checks does it become so that somebody really does feel like it's just as seamless as possible to sort of go through their day? So if you think about it, what is a password? I mean, it's basically just a randomized
2: string that you remember and you put in. And for a long time, I've believed that passwords are on the way out. They're antiquated. Um, The only really effective way to use passwords now is to use a password manager to store all of them. And then you can have something unique per site. But it's still forcing something to remember this whole long list of things. Well, if you're using a program to remember a string of numbers and digits uh, (laughs) and, and letters, well, why does that thing have to be a password manager? Why can't it be a computer, and like in the uh, or, or something in the cloud, right? Yeah. And if, if that's the case, then a token is just as good as a password. The only thing you have to do is make sure that it's controlled properly. It the uh, the authentication flow makes sense. Yeah. And then it gets expired under the right conditions. Um. And so at that point. Like the user entering the password is no longer relevant, but more how you manage it becomes relevant. And if you look at architectures like zero trust, that's where you start to see things like, you know, you do authentication once that generates a token, which is your ticket that allows you access to things. And then so long as all the context that was used to verify that and generate it remains the same, you can keep using that ticket, maybe until a set expiry time, for example yeah but if something changes then the ticket's invalidated and you have to and something has to be done again now that thing that has to be done again doesn't have to be someone typing in a long string uh, i quite like the uh the combination of using you know uh, something simple and say biometrics in in for me um something like um facial biometrics on a phone that you you possess to generate a token combined with a digital identity from that device, which is then sent up as as proof of who you are, that you're using the right device, um, that's then combined with context, is way more secure than a password. Yeah. Because it's not something that can be easily captured and it's not something that can be replayed. Now, the one thing I will say in my personal opinion, and I'll say this is, me and not Octa, yep. <laughs> um, and that is I personally believe that it should be combined with a something like a short PIN as well for so high risk transactions, um, and that's because I, I personally have uh, concerns about biometrics. Um, they're secure at the moment, but ultimately, if you think about it, anything that is publicly accessible, your fingerprint, your face, etc., can be captured. And there are ways that it could be replayed yeah and so there are scenarios where you could break that down right now they're incredibly complicated scenarios so you know a, a blog i wrote when i broke uh, touch id on uh, on the iphone when it first came out i think it was on the fire or five s what was it or was six, six, six i don't remember anyway <laughs> one of the early iphones um when they released touch id i broke um touch id by Cloning a fingerprint from a glass, reproducing it, and then replaying it against the device. Oh,
1: that's right, I remember. Um, that. Yeah. <laughs> now,
2: what I wrote then was, I mean, in fact, the title of the blog was Why I Heck Touched ID and Still Think It's Awesome. Yeah. That's because security doesn't always have to be perfect, it just has to be good enough. Yeah. Um, we still use keys in locks, even though people can pick locks. Why? Because the average guy who's going to try and get into your house is not going to pick the lock. Uh, He's probably going to put a brick through the window. Um, Locks are a good enough deterrent to keep people from opening your door. And when Apple rolled out Touch ID, they went from something like one in four people with any kind of passcode. um, uh, Actually, I think it was like 20 or 30% of people had a
1: passcode. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so few were even bothering. uh, Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Uh, because they saw it as a pain in the ass. It was a a fast. And then it went up to about 80 or 90% because it was easy. It was something that they just naturally did, touched their Mm. thumb against the button, and so they did it. That, to me, is an example of great security. So replacing passwords now with digitally created tokens based on verifying identity using things like... um, uh, an action on your device or using biometrics on your device is a really great next step in improving security and a really hard challenge for the bad guys to beat. We shouldn't stop there because bad guys aren't going to stop there either. You know, the threat landscape doesn't stay still. Mm. Um, But we're on the path to creating really secure identity flows.
1: Yeah, And look, it's such a good point there that I think the, you know, the, the thing that upsets people about passwords the most is that idea that they have to remember a complicated string of some kind and that they know they're meant to have a different one for every single thing. And, you know, I always see sort of plenty of people resistant to the idea of using password managers and things like that because they just feel like it's all complicated. Whereas, yep. you're right, if it goes down that path where it's like, you know what, the machine is remembering the complicated bit for you and you only need to use the bio. And even like you say, if people are just going, well, you've just picked out a, you know, a pin code like your bank pin code, but then the complicated bit has been remembered by the the machine. It's just about adding that extra, just, you know, authentication that is easier to remember than that really long, complicated thing you're meant to have been trying to use. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And for me, that's the perfect example of good security
2: you've verified that the user is genuinely the right user you've made the flow complicated enough that no one's going to capture it and replay it and it's all happening seamlessly in the background and that's how security should work yeah uh, and if we if we move to a model like that for everything the world's going to be a much safer place uh, people don't have to remember things you won't find passwords written on post it notes yeah uh, and and you don't have to worry about uh, your uh, partner picking up your iPhone and uh, accessing things.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I mean, do you have any other sort of thoughts there on uh, you know anything we've sort of missed that you think jumps out right at the moment as things people should be caring about on this front?
2: Well, I, what i say is, um, I mean, if you have a chance, take a look at my blog on the octo site. Mm. I, I made a list of recommendations Great. that I, I believe people should follow to stay safe. And I think they apply both to companies and to people. Um, the uh, CTI league that I'm running is, um, uh, there's four of us, by the way. Um, if you go to the website, cti league.com, uh, I can make sure we, get, we send that to you as a follow up. There's four founders. It'd be great if you could uh, call them out because uh, i like, like to give credit, yeah. credit to you. Yeah. Um, uh, also, we are recruiting more people, so there's a recruitment form on the site. We would love to see, especially see more folks from down under come in and, and join the fight, uh, because we see this as a worldwide problem. Um, and and I guess uh, the last thing is, even if you aren't uh, a cyber expert who can dive in and and join this kind of thing find a group and pitch in because i what we're seeing across the world now that makes me really happy is this grassroots activity from citizens all over the world who are looking to protect their fellow citizens protect their countries and fight and i think that's an awesome thing to to see and to propagate
1: Thanks again to Mark Rogers and Okta for having that chat with Jetpacks. Jetpacks are overrated as a part of the Bite Side Podcast Network. Get more jetpacks and other podcasts via Biteside.com or find us on social media at Biteside on Twitter, slash Biteside on Facebook, and at the Bite Side on Instagram. Or email us via jetpacks at Biteside.com and tell us what you're thinking. Catch you again real soon.